I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They, they just gatekeep knowledge, you know? They're, they're to total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these, these pricks at the hell that lie to us. It's... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. They're, they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, right? it, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the Great Deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. I never used to question before, and now I question everything. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to fold it in. And welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. I have a little different. It's going to be a much shorter uh, episode tonight, but it, it ties in with what we were going over before. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. I know I said we were going to do uh, Operation Paperclip next, but my scheduler is an idiot. And by my scheduler, I mean myself. Um, I didn't pay attention to the podcast that I had agreed to do. And I now have a podcast every night this week and two on Sunday. So uh, with that said, I'm not going to be able to get much um research done, much notes and things like that together. So uh, I decided to throw this one together for you all because this is one I wanted to put out. And it, it it's very relevant to what's going on right now as well. Now, before we get to that, some housekeeping. Okay. Um, guys, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash the great deception podcast. And I have three tiers out there that you can contribute to. Uh, you get all the Monday Night Master Debater video uh, versions out there, and you'll get some extra footage uh, and extra content as I get that thing built up. So if you do want to donate, that is one way. Uh, another way is to support uh, the merch store. So look in the links below. Uh, we have a Teespring store out there with some, some merch, and uh, so you can support the show that way too. The other way you can support it, guys, and, and what kind of means the most is, uh, you know, when you you share, you like, you review, you leave some kind words there, uh, things like that. So feel free. And I want I want to thank you guys because I've been getting some great interaction and feedback uh, from people, whether it's via email or Instagram or even the YouTube videos. And, and I'm sorry for the YouTube videos. I'm working on that. That's another thing I'd like to build up a little bit because I do want to start doing some live 
YouTube videos, uh, going over some photos. I have some old photo collections and things that I'd like to share with everybody. Um, so we'll get, we'll get to that. So go check out the YouTube page too, the great deception podcast, subscribe and click that little uh, bell. So you get notifications with that said, I think that's all we have for this week for, uh, for housekeeping materials. So now on to the show. And what we have tonight is an interesting diabolical plan from none other than our U.S. government once again. And this one involves the systematic destruction of the bison or buffalo in North America, specifically the plains. And this was done intentionally. Why, you ask? Well, because it was a great way to starve out the natives. Think about that. How crazy is that? And what we're going to hear in here, we're going to talk about, we're going to hear a, a future president of the United States talk about the solution, almost like the final solution that we've heard about, to take care of the country's quote-unquote Indian problem. Yeah. Yeah, very Hitler-esque. And as we've seen in the last couple episodes, the presidents that we elected in the 1800s were participants in genocide and were the leaders in genocide. And it's disgusting. And it's glamorized. And our history is nothing but lies and deception. The way this country started was a complete takeover. It was a genocide. It was a slaughter of not only the people, but the animals, the land. We've done nothing but destroy this land for the better part of 250 years. And it wasn't until we showed up that all these problems came about. So what are we talking about here? Well, you know, we've been, we, in the last episode, we were talking about Tecumseh's Comet and the New Madrid earthquake and the War of 1812 and how that was basically the war to push the natives west of the Mississippi and get them as far west as possible to eventually get them on to reservations, cages, designated lands where they could be controlled, where they could be reprogrammed and then reintroduced into society if they were lucky. If not, they stayed on the reservation and were most likely going to become alcoholics. So it's, it's just, and what we're going to look at here is what's called the Buffalo War, right? Or what we've deemed it the Buffalo War of the 1800s, because this goes throughout the entire century of the 1800s. And if we look at the Buffalo population, not, not the city, the bison, prior to 1800, we're looking at anywhere from 40 to 60 million buffalo. 40 to 60 million. Then by 1889, we're down to 541. By 1900, the population is said to gotten down to 300 buffalo in North America. 300. That's how close they were to extinction. Now there's about half a million. Uh, they've done a pretty good job of, of bringing the population back. 
but still it's nothing like it used to be. And we're going to see in some of these, um, what we're going to go through here is I want to, I found it interesting, a little history of the bison of North America, and then get, get into some of the history behind this, some of the players in this, like USC's S grant Buffalo, Bill Cody, uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, which is a very, I find that interesting that William Sherman, the gentleman responsible for Sherman's March, basically the, you know, the destruction of, of better part of Georgia was named after the great Indian chief Tecumseh, who we spoke about in the last episode. I mean, it's just the irony. You can't write this stuff guys. I mean, these guys are good authors, but I, I don't know if you can even write that. It just doesn't seem real. So why is this relevant now? Well, I know some of you have seen there's been a viral video going around of, you know, some cattle upside down that are bloated and it's tough to tell if they're real or fake at this point. You know, any video that's out there, you have to question. I know that seems cynical, but it's the times we live in. And if you're not questioning it, you're a fool to at least question it. I'm not saying you have to doubt it, but you have to question it. So we're seeing this video of these these this herd of cattle that supposedly died of heat exhaustion type thing, which is kind of interesting because just recently in the last season of Yellowstone, you saw that a herd of cattle was intentionally poisoned by having alfalfa dropped into the region. And, and it wiped out the herd almost instantly. You know, it doesn't take a lot of time for these cows to, to start suffering, bloating, and eventually they, they need to be put down or they just die. And so now in today's day and age, the question is, was it a natural death? Was it negligence by the farm owner? Was it intentional? Was there something devious behind this? Is this part of a, a greater plan for food scarcity? to get us eating bugs, you know, eating that, that Bill Gates meat, that fake meat. I don't know. Honestly, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not getting into it. I, I, I'm, I'm staying away from all this fear porn right now because the more I look at the video, it looks suspect to me just to be in, in my personal opinion. It looks, looks a little suspect. Um, and the timing of it is, is interesting. And I mean, <laughs> when you, when you talk about heat guys and, and cattle, and uh, I was talking with my buddy uh, Kyle from the Big Dumb, and he's like, "Yeah, it's, it was a lot hotter here in Texas than it was up there. So why didn't all those cattle die? Right? I mean, there's just so many uh, oddities to it, and I'm not going to get into it and the science and all that. And, but it's just it, it's again something you have to question. But when I saw that this massive, you know, cattle death. I, uh, it made me think of this because I, I was, when I was researching the war of 1812, one of the things that came up was that they started the U S government intentionally started killing massive amounts of Buffalo. And as you can see by the photos here, I mean, one of the most infamous photos is this one up here in the upper right. It's, I mean, it's a small mountain of Buffalo skulls and a gentleman standing on the top and a gentleman with a black hat standing at the bottom. Um, and then, 
you know, over here on the left, we have a giant um, pile of, of furs, of pelts, and, and then just other massive piles of bones. And you can just see the absolute devastation that was brought upon the Buffalo population. Now, why was this? Well, it was because the white man, the Europeans, the settlers believed in this idea of manifest destiny, which started in like the early 1940s. And that was basically that it was their destiny to expand West and to develop all the land in between. And you ask, well, what about the people that already lived there? Who cares? They must get out of our way. And that's what's so crazy about this, guys. And this involves the railroad, as everything does back in the 1800s. The railroad plays a part in this as well. And the Smithsonian, they're in this as well. So what we're going to look at is we're going to look at the history of the bison. Then we're going to get into some uh, of, the, of the history of this massacre and some firsthand accounts from back in the 1870s. So let's get started here. And the first article we're going to look at is from PBS. It's called The Buffalo War. And it said, uh, millions of wild buffalo once roamed the American West from Mexico to Canada. Bison populated the continent long before people settled there. Scientists believe that bison came to North America via land bridge from Asia. As herbivores, the bison adapted to the eastern woodlands and Great Plains, receiving nourishment from the rich grasses. And I found that interesting that, you know, again, if they came from the land bridge, what else came from the land bridge? Not just bison, okay? In the United States, bison and buffalo are often used interchangeably, although bison is the more accurate term, as buffalo technically refers to a species from Africa and Asia, such as the Cape and water buffaloes. Weighing up to 2,400 pounds and standing six feet tall at the shoulder, bison appear ungainly, yet surprisingly fleet. In fact, bison can move 35 miles an hour. That's insane. 35 miles an hour, 2,500 pounds moving at you at 35 miles an hour. <sighs> Rushing to defend their young or when approached too closely by people. Their broad shoulders allow them to plow through deep snow and their shaggy heads are made for pushing snow aside to reach vegetation below. The history of the buffalo is intertwined with the uh, plight of the Native Americans in the American West. Indian tribes settled these same grasslands centuries later because of plenteous bison. Native peoples came to rely on the bison for everything from food, clothing, to shelter, and religious worship. They used almost every part of the animal, including the horns, meat, and tail hairs. I mean, guys, this was a staple in the native life on the plains. By the 1800s, Native Americans learned to use horses to chase bison, dramatically expanding their hunting range. But when white trappers and traders introduced guns in the West, killing millions more buffalo for their hides, by the middle of the 19th century, even train passengers were shooting bison for sport. Think about that. Just driving by, shooting bison, you know, Ah, why not? Let's just kill them as we drive by, leave them out there. So Buffalo Bill Cody, who was hired to kill bison, slaughtered more than 4,000 bison himself in two years. 
Bison were a centerpiece of, the, of his Wild West show, which was very successfully both in the United States and Europe, distilling the excitement of the West to those who had little contact with it. And if you remember uh, from my Chicago episode on the Chicago World Fair of 1893, Buffalo Bill set up his own little uh, exhibit out, just outside the fair. And it was a huge hit. And again, guys, this is he and and we're going to dive into Buffalo Bill eventually because he's one of these characters they use to sell this idea of the West. okay, and and to glorify what they're doing behind the scenes in the West where they're massacring people, animals, the land. To make matters worse for the wild buffaloes, some U.S. government officials actively destroyed bison to defeat their Native American enemies who resisted the takeover of their lands by white settlers. American military commanders ordered troops to kill buffalo to deny Native Americans an important food source. That's psychopathic, guys. That's, that's insane. That's like poisoning their water. Now, we're going to kill them all so they have no food source and starve them out. This is the people of the land that you are occupying. These are supposedly the people that, you know, you're trying to make peace with. It's a hell of a way to make peace with people. In 1905, zoologist William Hornaday formed the American Bison Society to recreate more wild herds. President Teddy Roosevelt persuaded Congress to establish a number of wildlife preserves. And with the help of a cadre of private um, Bison owners, the society was able to stock a number of preserves and parks. This organization supplemented the existing herd of about 20 bison that lived in the newly formed Yellowstone Park. Until 1967, bison numbers were controlled by the park and their population limited to 397. I don't know why that number. That's an interesting number. After that year, the National Park Service adopted a new policy of minimal management and no killing or disease control was done. The population increased, peaking in the 90s to more than 4,000. Today, Yellowstone herd stands at 3,000 animals. It is thought by many to be the United States' last free-roaming bison herd. Uh, it says currently there's about 150,000 to 200,000 throughout North America, although the vast majority of them are raised on ranches for commercial purposes, mostly meat, hides, and skulls. So as you'll see there, I mean, that was interesting. The buffalo coming over from uh, Asia. So now here's what allowed for this slaughter to occur. There were two technological advances that are credited with really spurring on this slaughter. And it says here, the two technological advances spurred the rapid slaughter of the buffalo. The demand for buffalo's hides surged when a useful tanning method was developed. The method allowed the soft hide to be made into tougher, more desirable leather. The other advancement was the development of the repeating rifle, allowing hunters to kill buffalo in huge numbers and at lo longer distances. Because we saw earlier that the natives had managed when they got horses to, to hunt on horseback, which expanded their um, the range that they could hunt. Well, now with the advancement of the rifle, 
some of these rifles could kill a buffalo uh, at a distance of a mile. So, I mean, this greatly increased the hunter's advantage. And it says, beyond the technology, United States government also encouraged the slaughter of buffalo as a strategy to conquer the American Plains Indians. American General Phil Sheridan said, let them kill, skin, and sell until buffalo are exterminated. Then your prairies can be covered with speckled cattle and the festive cowboy. So right there, that's their plan, guys. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to wipe out the buffalo so they can move in with their cows and use this valuable land as farmland. Not giving two shits about the natives. The natives are a problem to them. They are a, a, a roadblock. So they must be dealt with accordingly, according to the government. And, you know, it's just, it, you see it over and over again, and it's just really, really disgusting. So let's take a look at this. This is, this is one I found pretty interesting. This is on the North American bison, the worst animal genocide in history and the greatest recovery from the brink of extinction. Okay, so you have the American bison, known as the American buffalo, um, it's, or the plains bison, inhabited much of the United States. Okay, um, the American bison is the largest mammal, ranging between, as we said before, 700 and 2,400 pounds. The heaviest bull ever recorded weighed 2,800 pounds. And in captivity, the largest bison weighed 3,800 pounds. They can stand up to six feet. Uh, to the hump, despite their massive size, they are incredibly agile and run. And this says up to 40 MPG miles per gallon. Shouldn't that be miles per hour? <clears throat> and jump six feet high from a standing position. Now that's a hell of a vertical jump right there. That's like NBA style vertical right there. It is estimated as many as 60 million bison roam the grasslands and plains of North America during the 19th century. The North American Plains bison has always been an integral part of early American life. The bison was not only a spiritual animal for the Native people, particularly for the Plain Indians, but Native Americans also depended on these animals for their livelihood. As we said before, every part of the animal was utilized. The hides, constructed shields, saddles, and moccasins, bison hair made sturdy ropes and stuffing for pillows, and warmth for robes. The brain was even used for preparation of hides, which was then used for the construction of teepees. The stomach lining made great cooking vessels, and the contents were used for medicinal purposes. Now, this is the photo I'm talking about, guys. I mean, look at this pile of skulls. It, I mean, if say, I mean, and this guy's standing on skulls. So, say he's, I don't know, at about six feet. That's at least 25 feet high of buffalo carcass bones and then you know god i can only imagine how wide this is for those listening i mean this is a like i said it's a small mountain of bones european explorers in north america saw the riches possible from bison fur and bison fur trading became a major industry with a fair number of trading posts appearing in the great plains Buffalo hides were one of the major trade items for the plains uh, between, uh, bringing between 
a dollar and three fifty per hide. Bison were hunted on foot, on horseback, and from trains for their tongues, hides, bones, and little else. The tongue was considered a del- delicacy. Hides were prepared and shipped to the East and Europe for processing into leather. The remaining carcasses were, for the most part, left to rot. This is what's disgusting. When nothing uh, but bones remained, they were gathered and shipped via rail to Eastern destinations for processing into industrial carbon and fertilizer. Hearing of the amazing buffalo herds, wealthy hunters wanting to hunt animals for themselves flocked to the plains. Some hunters would shoot from the train as it passed the herds. The shooting did not supply any meat. It was just simply for sport. It was to entertain. I mean, that's how disgusting these people were, how, how they had no value for life. I mean, it's just, it's just gross. I mean, here's another picture. This is all the furs that they had collected. Again, you get this guy, black cat, a couple cowboys here in the background, even a dog. But I mean, look at this massive mountain of furs. Think about how many animals they had to slaughter to get those furs. But the fur trade and other commodities from the bison is only a small part of the story. The American government encouraged elimination of the Plains Indians' primary food source, the bison. The idea was to kill off the bison to starve the Indians, force them into relatively small areas or north into Canada, make their food source either scarce or non-existent. That sounds familiar, right? It's what we're hearing about today, food shortages. But it's not going to happen, guys. Don't buy into the fear porn. You may not be able to get your name brand, but you will be able to get food. Don't manifest a shortage. Have faith. Believe in abundance. Take care of yourself. The results would be starvation and high infant mortality amongst the Indian populations that would pave the way for the West and for European settlement to start the Western beef industry. Um, Every buffalo dead is an Indian gone, said Columbus Delano, the Secretary of Department of the Interior in the 1870s. These are our politicians, guys. Every buffalo dead is a gone Indian. That's really good. The rapid disappearance of game from the former hunting grounds must operate largely in favor of our efforts to confine the Indians to smaller areas and compel them to abandon their nomadic customs. You see what they're doing here, guys. They're trying to cage the remaining natives. They want to just steal their land. They see the value in it and do not want to either A, pay them an equitable amount, or B, work with them. It's just no, get out of our way. We're taking it. It's ours. It's like your older brother that just comes in the room and just ruins all your shit and takes it just because he can. You could put up a fight, but he's going to eventually beat you one way or the other. And this is the game that they're playing. This, this is this, this whole country, the whole setup of this country required us to eliminate, or at least in the, in the leaders' minds, to eliminate the native peoples, commit genocide. There's no 
other way around it. They committed genocide flat out. In the 1860s, the railroad needed fresh meat every day to feed the 1,200 railroad workers, and the vast buffalo herd supplied the meat. Uh, Like we said before, Buffalo Bill once bragged that he killed 4,200 bison in 17 months to feel the railroad laborers. Once the rails were built, large bison herds would sometimes cause lengthy train delays as the herds crossed the tracks, causing the rail companies to further promote the killing of the herds because it was an inconvenience to these railroads. Heaven forbid nature inconvenience man. <laughs> when the monthly income average of about, uh, was about $1,000, buffalo hunters were paid about $80 a day. The railways uh, made it easy to devastate the herd conditions, and the railroad uh, split large bison herd into southern and northern herds. In just 40 years, from 1830 to 1874, the southern herd was wiped out. 40 years, guys. Wiped out. Gone. I mean, look at this. Another picture of just, I mean, look at these skulls and bones of these bison. In addition to the fur trade and paid hunters from the government and railways, European settlers and the beef industry caused the introduction of bovine diseases from domestic cattle, further devastating bison herds. Where have we heard that before? Diseases from Europe. By the early 1880s, there were only a few free-ranging bison left. A few, guys. A couple hundred from 60 million prior to 1800. After the great slaughter of the American bison in the 1800s, the number of bison remaining alive in America declined as low as 541, with as few as 300 in the United States. That's insanity. During that period, a handful of ranchers uh, gathered remnants of the existing herds to save species from extinction. Had it not been for a few private individuals working with tribes, states, and the Interior Department, the bison would be extinct today. I love how they credit the Interior Department. Those scumbags, are they're guilty of this. The genocide of the American bison stopped, and their recovery started in 1905 when William T. Hornaday, director of the New York Zoological Park, now the Bronx Zoo, created the American Bison Society, a breeding program in 1905, and he became its president. Teddy Roosevelt helped protect the remaining buffalo and accepted the position as the uh, society's honorary president. Um, on October 11, 1907, the first 15 bison to leave the Bronx Zoo breeding program boarded a train across the country to Oklahoma to bring bison to the Wichita Mountains National Wildlife Refuge. The Buffalo Train Ride, uh, a book by Desiree Morrison Weber, describes the journey. In 1913, the American uh, Bison Society donated 14 bison to uh, Wind Cave National Park in South Dakota to restore the free-range bison. And it says here, today, the National Bison Association puts the American bison population at 400,000 animals with the goal of reaching a million within a few years. That would be a beautiful thing. Um, Yeah, and so you just see Let's go up here to this chart. I just want to, I just, uh, it's not in this one. It's in a different one. Yeah, it's right here. Okay. Here's another picture, guys. Look at the piles of bones. It's just, it's, it's disheartening. It's just so sick. 
So now here we start seeing the numbers. I mean, look at this before 1800, 60 million bison, 1830, 40 million. So think about that, you know, in about 30 to 50 years, 20 million bison. You're like, wow, that's got to be a, just a slaughter. Nope. In the next decade, another 400,000. Then between 1840 and 1870, you lose 30, not lose, 30 million are killed to the point by 1880, you're down to 395,000. And less than a decade later, you're down to 541. Now, 541,000, 541 bison. And this is why. Look at this field, just littered with skeletons. Littered. I mean, ugh. Get sick looking at these pictures. Um, yeah, and again, this is just this little chart. So, if you want to check this out, this Ozark, I'll put these links in in the bio as well, or in the uh, show notes. But I, I like these articles. Now, this article is uh, very well done um, by the Atlantic. It's called "Kill Every Buffalo You Can." Every buffalo dead is an Indian gone, and if you remember that. That was their quote from General Sheridan, one of our wonderful leaders. Okay. And just look at this majestic animal. I mean, man, imagine seeing herds of these that would go as far as the eye could see. You would go on a train ride for miles uh, passing the same herd. I mean, that's how many of these animals there were. And all destroyed you know, killed out of pettiness to try and eliminate the natives. Unbelievable. All right. So who wrote this article? Oh, this is Jay Weston Fippen. I want to give him credit. And this is from 2016. Okay. Cause yeah, cause they're going to reference Obama in here. Um, but it was near the end of September, an unusually warm week of 1871, and while Buffalo Bill, uh, William Buffalo Bill Cody and a group of wealthy New Yorkers stood atop a grassy hill near Platte River, Nebraska, where two miles off, they spotted six huge brown beasts. Cody was a legend of the frontier, part myth conjured in dime novels. The men from New York had expected him uh, to find him as a desperado of the West, bristling with knives and pistols, but they did not. Cody was loquacious and friendly, an expert hunter. He knew that with the wind blowing from the behind, the men risked the scent being carried to the animals and scaring them away. Then again, a buffalo is a lumbering uh, hirsute cow, and the men who were outfitted with some of the quickest horses held the best guns owned by the United States Army, which was outfitting the hunt hunting expedition. The Army wasn't in the business of guiding hunting trips for soft-skinned Wall Streeters, but it was in the business of controlling the Native Americans in the area, and that meant killing buffalo. One colonel, four years earlier, had told a wealthy hunter who had felt a shiver of guilt after he shot 30 bulls in one trip, kill every buffalo you can. Every buffalo dead is a gone Indian. Cody and his men made a contest of the hunt. Whoever killed the first buffalo would win an engraved silver chalice. Years later, in an article he wrote for the magazine Cosmopolitan, 
Cody would call his trip the best equipped he'd ever taken. The army had supplied an armed escort and 25 wagons filled with cooks, linen, china, carpets for their tents, and a traveling ice house to keep their wine chilled. Right? These guys are really roughing it. This is that picture of the Wild West they want to give you, right? Oh, yeah. The reason for such extravagance was undoubtedly because the New Yorkers were well-connected, but also because the Major General um, uh, Philip Sheridan, the man with the task of forcing Native Americans off the Great Plains onto reservations, had come along with them. This was a leisure hunt, but Sheridan also viewed the extermination of Buffalo and uh, his victory over the Native Americans as a single, inextricable mission. And in that sense... It could be argued that any buffalo hunt was army business, a matter matter of government business. After the men circled the herd, they charged down the hill, chasing after the six buffalo, eager for the first kill. Okay, so again, this is from 2016. It said, on Monday, President Obama signed the National Bison Legacy Act, making the American bison uh, the national mammal. It's only the second animal to represent the U.S. joining the bald eagle. Wow, there's a good one. Look into the bald eagle and all the symbolism behind that. Eagle is, has been used by tyrannical governments for thousands of years. Going back to, I think, Babylon. It's ironic, of course, because at one time, American settlers and hide hunters killed the animal to near extinction. And tourists shot the animals from windows of trains as if the slaughter could last forever. Buffalo had once numbered more than 30 million. And by the end of the 19th century, only a few hundred left in the wild. Today, some 20 to 25,000 remain in public herds. This guy's numbers are way off. Many things contributed to the Buffalo's demise. One factor was that for a long time, the country's highest generals politicians, and even President Ulysses S. Grant saw the destruction of Buffalo as solution to the country's Indian problem. Now, why why is Ulysses S. Grant not mentioned in the same breath as Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or Mao Zedong or any of these people who have committed genocide? Because right here, he's saying they're ha- the, they're the final solution, right, to the Indian problem. That's the same. Just replace a different Star of David with Indian problem, and you've got a whole, it's World War II. So you're seeing, guys, this pattern repeats over and over throughout history. Nothing is new. It's just different players different people in the game before Sheridan joined Cody and the New Yorkers on the hunt. And before he oversaw the relocation of North Americans on the plains, he was a major general for the union during the civil war. It was there. He learned the power of destroying enemies resources. He used the same scorched earth strategy that William Tecumseh Sherman, the then major general used in his March to the sea, tearing up railroad ties, toppling telephone poles and lighting nearly all of Atlanta and anything an inf- infantryman could digest a blaze. After the war, President Grant asked Sherman and Sheridan to command armies in the Great Plains. So they did such an outstanding job at destroying Atlanta that now we're going to task you to destroy the Great Plains. 
And guys, we're going to get into uh, William Sherman and Sherman's March uh, down the road. That's definitely an episode I want to do because that's a whole rabbit hole in itself. They were taking railroad ties and supposedly wrapping them around trees or poles or whatever they could. I mean, it, the story is just mind-blowing. Sherman knew that as long as the Sioux hunted buffalo, they'd never surrender to life with a plow. And that's key. That's a key statement right there because the point of this was to get the natives on reservations or just eliminate them in general. It would be easier to eliminate them. It would be worse from a PR perspective, but they didn't care, obviously. I mean, you're seeing here, they don't care. The Indians are a problem. The natives are a problem to the government is how they see it. So what what the government wanted to do, they wanted to put these people on reservations and let them work certain areas, which they probably weren't going to give them the best plots of land either, when you think about it, right? They're not, they're not going to give them these, these grade A properties. They're going to get shit land that you could probably barely grow on, and they'd probably struggle and die anyway. But this is our government who has the best interests of its people at heart, the ones who you went into lockdown for, the ones who you trusted to wear a diaper on your face, even though the box told you it didn't work. Over and over again, these people lie to you. They see you as less than, yet you have blind faith that they are looking out for your best interests. And if you haven't seen that over the last month's worth of shows that our government does not give a shit about the population and sees us as less than and obstacles to their end goal, I don't know what to tell you. And I don't know if you're ever going to see it because they have done nothing since the inception of this country, but wreak havoc at home and abroad. So back to the article, this was This was Manifest Destiny, and there'd never be enough room for Native Americans and white settlers. In treaty after reneged treaty, the land granted to the tribes of the Great Plains shrunk. And that's what we see, right? We saw that in the last episode. That the U.S. makes these bullshit treaties to push the natives back. The natives agree, thinking, okay, we have an agreement. They're not going to keep put. uh, Nope, they break that one. Then the natives will sign the next one. And basically, guys, if you really look at this, they're signing these things at knife point. They have a knife to their throat because they know that if they don't sign for the most part, it just means war. Because the U.S. is going to get this land one way or another. So either you acquiesce and you sign to these treaties or they're going to bring in the cavalry and you're in for a fight. Women and children alike. U.S. wanted them docile to take up farming on the reservations and stay put. But the Sioux, the Kiowa, and the Comanches, nearly all tribes of the plains, lived alongside buffalo herds and took from their skins for tents and their meat for food. When miners discovered gold in Montana and some of the best hunting grounds in the country, the Sioux fought the white settlers, rushing to extract yet another profitable resource from the land, from their land. That escalated into a small war and eventually what's called the Fetterman fight. 
named after the U.S. Army captain leading the troops. The Sioux killed Captain William J. Fetterman and all of his 80 men. At that time, it was the worst loss in U.S. had ever suffered on the Great Plains, which is shocking they didn't call it Fetterman's Massacre, because any time the U.S. loses, it's generally deemed a massacre. Yet when we win and they defeat the natives, it is called a battle. Again, word magic, guys, word play. They tug at your heartstrings. In 1868, uh, General Sherman and a peace commission signed the Fort Laramie Treaty with the Sioux and outlined them uh, for them a reservation. Part of the treaty also allowed the Sioux to hunt buffalo in the northern Platte River, almost the same land where Cody and the New Yorkers would hunt three years later. Sherman hated the idea. He was utterly opposed to the clause of to that clause of the treaty, um, said David Smiths of the Western Historical Quarterly. He was determined to clear the Central Plains region between the Platte and the Arkansas of Indians so that the railroads, stage lines, and telegraph could operate unmolested, right? This was just so we could put up our, you know, infrastructure. So, so we could put this European stuff up there and just, you know, we don't care about the land. We don't care about the people. We care about industrial expansion, the industrial revolution. Sherman knew that as long as the Sioux hunted buffalo, they'd never surrender to life with a plow. In a letter to Sheridan dated May 10th, 1868, Sherman wrote that as long as Buffalo roamed those parts of Nebraska, Indians will go there. I think it would be wise to invite all of the sportsmen of England and America there this fall for a grand Buffalo hunt and make one grand sweep of them all. Guys, this is psychopathic behavior to, to think that going around and wiping out any population is good, let alone one that a whole entire people rely on as their source of life. By now, the buffalo that once covered the Great Plains were hewn into two giant herds, one in the north, one in the south. Still, the brown herds could overwhelm, and when Sheridan asked the trader how many he thought lived in the southern herd, the man said 10 billion. <laughs> Obviously, that was absurd. But if the army planned to slaughter all the buffalo and starve the tribes into submission, it'd take more time and men than Sheridan had. Still, there's evidence he thought it the best option. In October 1868, Sheridan wrote to Sherman that their best hope to control the natives was to, quote unquote, make them poor by the destruction of their stock and then settle them on the lands allotted to them. Now, that quote right there is prevalent and stands up today. Because what are they trying to do? Make them poor by the destruction of their stock. Now, take it away from cattle and put that into investments in, in, in terms, right? Thinking of investments, thinking of your retirement, thinking of stock, right? The stock market's crashing, and then settle them onto lands allotted to them. It's exactly what they, they're trying to do to us now, guys. They're trying to destroy the economy and then get us, the majority of people, into smart cities. So they can be easy, more easily controlled. It's the same 
thing they did to the natives. And if you, you can't see that, guys, again, like I said, none of this is new. They reuse their playbook over and over again. Soon Sherman would have help. But along with the Fort Laramie Treaty, the U.S. had also signed the Medicine Lodge Treaty in 1867 with tribes in the South. So for a moment, the Indian Wars had paused. But they didn't. In the lull, enlisted men like Cody found other ways to stay busy and make money. Cody had joined the cavalry at 17. Here in the name Buffalo Bill, because in one 18-month stretch, he claimed to have killed 4,200 buffalo. In 1870, a hide would go for about $3.50, $3.50. One frontiersman, Frank Meyer, figured that if he spent 25 cents on each round of ammo, then every time I fired one, I got my investment back 12 times over. Right? That's how they see the buffalo, at their investment. Okay? This is ridiculous. Buffalo were slow grazing, four-legged bankrolls, and for a while there were plenty. Then in 1873, an economic depression hit the country, and what easier way was there to make money than to chase down these ungainly beasts? Thousands of buffalo runners came, sometimes averaging 50 kills a day. They sliced their humps, skinned off their hides, tore out their tongues, and left the rest on the prairies to rot. They slaughtered so many buffalo that it flooded the market, and the price dropped, which meant they had to kill more to make what they were making before. Where are we seeing that? Inflation, guys. That's what we're seeing right now. This was a deflation of the Buffalo price, but it's because of the inflation to the economy. They slaughtered so many Buffalo. uh, Oh, okay. Uh, in, In towns, hides rose in stacks as tall as houses. This was not the work of the army. It was a private industry. But that doesn't mean the army officers and generals couldn't lean back and look at it with satisfaction because that was their goal. I read that army commanders were even providing bullets to the hunters, said Andrew Eisenberg, uh, uh, the author of The Destruction of the Bison. He's also a professor of history at uh, Temple University. The military looked at the private sec- at what the private sector was doing, and they didn't need to do anything more than stand back and watch it happen. So they just let these people loose. They gave them ammunition to do this for them. They didn't even have to do it themselves. Eisenberg says, though it was never official policy to kill Buffalo in order to control natives on the plains, the army certainly conscious about it, at least in action. They were extremely explicit about it. Herds became harder to find. In some prairies, they completely vanished. Buffalo runners sent two men to Fort Dodge, Kansas, to ask the colonel uh, there what the penalty was if Skinner's crossed into the Texas Panhandle and onto reservation land. The Medicine Lodge Treaty, which they signed just a few years earlier, said no white settlers could hunt there. But that's where the remaining buffalo had gathered. So what do you think happens? They, did, they wouldn't go hunt these buffalo. They wouldn't break a treaty, would they? Well, Lieutenant Colonel Richard Dodge met with the two men, and one remembered the colonel saying, Boys, if I were a buffalo hunter, I would hunt buffalo where they are. 
the colonel wished them good luck, right? That treaty wasn't worth the paper it was printed on. In the next decade, the hide hunters uh, exterminated nearly every buffalo. Colonel Dodge would later write, where there were myriads of buffalo the year before, there were now myriads of carcasses. The air was foul with the sickening stench and the vast plain, which only a short 12 months before teemed with animal life, was a dead, solitary desert. The wasteland was so scattered with bones of dead animals and buffalo that all the prairie felt like a graveyard risen. One judge called it a channel house, uh, charnel house with so many skulls staring at a man and so many bones that newcomers felt nervous. During a hard drought with no buffalo left, settlers and Native Americans hunted their bones, selling them for fertilizer. In Eisenberg's book, he tells about a reporter who asked a railroad worker, do the Indians make a living gathering these bones? Yes, replied a railroad inspector, but it is a mercy that they can't eat the bones. We are never able to uh, gain control of the savages until their supply of meat was cut off. Let's read that again. We were never able to control the savages. Savages. That's what they consider the natives. Savages. Until their supply of meat was cut off. Do you think you'd be a savage if someone was trying to take your land, trying to kill your family, trying to enslave your family? A lot of you listening to this obviously would fight. But a large majority of people out there would do nothing. And that's how this shit happens. Some men saw the future. And even before the Buffalo Runners had wiped out almost every animal in the U.S. uh, And the U.S. Army had to protect the last remaining wild herd in Yellowstone National Park. Conservationists lobbied the Congress to pass a bill that had saved the Buffalo. It did not sit well with Sheridan. No record exists of his words, but one hide hunter later said that Sheridan had defended the industry to legislatures by saying, these men have done in the last two years and will do more in the next year to settle the vexed Indian question than the entire regular army has done in 30 years. So he's saying, like, just let these people keep going. They're doing such a good job. They're doing more in a year or two than we've done in 30 years in culling the native population. So this is where you look at our wonderful president. It wasn't Congress passed a bill to protect the Buffalo in 1875, but president Grant refused to sign it. What a good guy. The peace treaties had failed. And in the same year, in what's called the Red River War, the U.S. beat back the Comanche, Kiowa, Cheyenne, Arapaho, and the Southern Plains on the Southern Plains and forced them into reservations. Without Buffalo, the U.S. government delivered cattle to some tribes. When the Agola, uh, Aglola, Aglala, Lakota, say that 10 times fast, in the North mounted horses and killed the cows in ritual as they had the Buffalo on their prairie hunts, the government stopped sending live cows and instead shipped meat from a nearby slaughterhouse. The Aglala Lakota burned the slaughterhouse down. I love it. Right? They're not going to take your shit. We don't want your reservations. We don't want your free handouts. We want to live free. We want to live on our land. 
not what you give us. And that's, that's how we should look at things now. It shouldn't be acceptable to just take what the government gives you as acceptable life, as an acceptable being. You should want more. Because as we've seen over and over, these people don't give a shit about you. They would love nothing more than you live in utter poverty if it meant that they could live the lifestyle they live. They don't care. But that was all this some time away. It'd be another four years before the Buffalo Protection Bill died and then Native Americans resigned to reservations from when Cody and the U.S. Army and the men in New York stood on the grassy hill in that unusually warm September in 1871. Cody and his men had circled their horses around the herd until they were downwind. A buffalo can weigh 2,000 pounds, run 35 miles an hour, and quickly pivot and fight with its horns and rip flesh like obsidian. When the men were close enough, Cody gave a signal to charge. He and the men from the New York thundered toward the sixth buffalo, hoping to win the silver trophy, excited to kill. Of the moment, one man wrote, the buffalo, as usual, took one good look at their enemies and then wheeling around and stretching their tails straight in the air, set off full gallop in Indian file at a pace that tested the best powers of the horses to surpass. Just as they started, our main body emerged from its concealment and we had a full view of the whole hunt, a most exciting and interesting sight to those new to the plains. On came the six huge buffalo, one behind the other, all running together as regularly as if kept in their paces by some rule of drill and close behind them, the hunters, each horse doing his best and now one leading another as though in a hotly contested race. So you see there, I mean, it's just slaughter. So right here, uh, we'll come back to this. We're going to use this in summary. All right. But I wanted to get to some of the firsthand accounts from 1872 and 1873. The suddenness of it all was appalling. As much as it strains today's imagination, the white men slaughtered their buffalo in hundreds of thousands, utterly obliterating in one season's kill the southern Kansas herds on which the Cheyenne and Arapaho had in large measure subsisted. They kill my buffalo. And when I see that, My heart feels like bursting. I feel sorry. Has the white man become a child that he should kill recklessly and not eat? When the red men slay game, do they not do so that they live and not starve? Between 1872 and 1873, over 3 million buffalo were killed. The reason was purely economic, but the result was to destroy the basis of the way of life of the people's who inhabited the area where the annihilation took place, the Southern Plains, the Southern Plain Indians. Everything the Kiawas had uh, had came from the buffalo. Our, Our teepees were made of buffalo hides, so were our clothes and moccasins. We ate buffalo meat. Our containers were made of hide or bladders or stomachs. The buffalo were life of the Kiawas from Old Lady Horse. Before 1870, some buffalo were killed by the new Americans, but the impact on the numbers of the buffalo was minimal. Some were shot for sport, some out of annuive of passing trains, 
Others shot for meat, some to feed the railroad workers, as we saw. Large private hunts could be arranged for people of sufficient importance or money. Several with important guests came out to the hunt under guidance of Wild Bill Hickok, as we saw before, of the romantic magazine and newspaper stories. Okay, it's, it's all bullshit. On this morning, the buffaloes were very accommodating. And I soon had them running in a beautiful circle when I dropped them thick and fast until I had killed 38, which finished my run. This was from Bill Cody himself. One hunter, Wiley Poe, who operated out of Fort McCabot, Texas, once killed 90 animals in a single stand without moving. Another famous hunter, Orlando Brick Bond, normally killed 250 beasts per day, keeping 15 skinners busy in his wake. So just think about that. That's one man killing 250 of these a day. A day. An almost unbroken herd of buffalo. The plains were blackened with them. And more than once, the train had to stop to allow unusually large herds to pass. Five years later, they were still very much in evidence. In 1872, we were never out of the sight of buffalo. In the following autumn, while traveling over the same district, Whilst the whole country was whitened with bleach and bleaching bones, we did not meet the buffalo until we were in Indian country and then only in scattered bands. There was a a continual line of putrescent carcasses so that the air was rendered uh, pestilential and offensive to the last degree. The hunters had formed a line of camps along the banks of the river. The Arkansas hadn't shot down the buffalo night and morning as they came to drink. I counted 67 carcasses in one spot covering four acres. I mean, it's just a slaughter, guys. Uh, the hunters have done... Uh, yeah, we went over that in, in... Okay, yeah. So let's wrap this up. I want to just, you know... So following the Civil War, after deadly European diseases and hundreds of wars with the white man had already wiped out untold number of Native Americans, the U.S. government had ratified nearly 400 treaties with the Plain Indians. How many of them do you think they lived up to? Probably none. But as the gold rush, the pressures of manifest destiny, and land grants for railroad construction led to greater expansion to the West, the majority of these treaties were broken. Shocker. General William Tecumseh's first post-war commands covered the territory west of the Mississippi and east of the Rocky Mountains, and his top priority was to protect the construction of the railroads. In 1867, he wrote to General Ulysses S. Grant, we are not going to let thieving, ragged Indians check and stop the progress of the railroads outraged by the battle of the hundred slain where Lakota and Cheyenne warriors ambushed a troop of us cavalry in Wyoming, scalping and mutilating all 81 body, uh, bodies of the soldiers and officers. Sherman told grant the year before we must act with vindictive earnestness against the Sioux, even their extermination, men, women, and children. Okay, this is what General Grant uh, Sherman said to Grant. We must act with vindictive earnestness against the Sioux, 
even to their extermination, men, women, and children. So when Grant became president, who did he appoint to the commanding general of the army? Sherman. Right? And Sherman was the one who carried out the Indian Wars. I mean, guys, this is just so, so disgusting. I don't know. At this point, I'm at a loss for really what to think other than our government is a bunch of sick bastards. Okay, I just want to play you a little clip from this because this is interesting right here. Um, And this is from uh, Vox. Go check out this video. It's called Why the U.S. Tried to Exterminate the Bison. I'm just going to play a little clip here. This was the bison's approximate range before 1800, covering a significant amount of North America. By 1870, the population had been reduced to these two great herds. By 1889, American bison numbered in the hundreds, down from tens of millions at the beginning of the century. And the reason for their destruction becomes clear when you add this to the map, the tribal lands of the Plains Indians. You cannot overstate the importance of the buffalo to the people of the northern and southern plains. Dean Angelia Whitaker is a lecturer on American Indian studies whose research focuses on issues of environmental justice throughout U.S. history. The buffalo has been central to these cultures for hundreds of years. And the buffalo provides everything. It's not just food, but it's everything needed for everyday life. Plains tribes constructed dwellings from bison. See, so you're seeing it right there, that they used everything, right? And we keep talking about that. And this is what I wanted to show you right here. This is an interesting picture. Manifest Destiny is most famously depicted in this 1872 painting called American Progress, which shows the expanding railroad following a steady stream of settlers westward and the land's native inhabitants, including the bison, fleeing into darkness imagery like this depicts the transfer and that's what's interesting and you'll notice if we can go back here and actually maybe see the picture yeah in her hand she's carrying a school book okay she's tied to the telephone lines the telegraph lines that are going and it's just it's it's very very interesting um and then there's an interesting story of ed howell Okay, who was supposedly hunting bison in Yellowstone and was caught by the American military. Well, what's interesting is they put this picture out there, which is four military men with eight bison head in front of them. And what they said was that this helped the bison conservation movement. When in reality, this picture really showed who is at the root cause of the bison near extinction. And it was the U.S. Army, the U.S. government who partook in this event, but also promoted it to others. So uh, I, I really find I have a difficult time in really believing that anything that this was done in anything but nefarious means. I mean, this was just simply the reason that this took place was to cut off the livelihood of the natives, clear the plains, right? Because now these Buffalo could cause 
issues for our railroads and heaven forbid the railroads be inconvenienced. So we had to take care of it. And what do you do? You just slaughter, just needlessly kill. And that's what they did. And that and this is just another instance of our government acting like savages, gaslighting. Who are the real savages? We're the ones going in, killing women, innocent women and children, right? Granted, it happened on both sides. But again, if your land was being attacked, would you not defend it? You can't say that the natives are at fault and by any means. Their land was being invaded. There is no manifest destiny. There's no right to this land by the European settlers or any settlers way of thinking that, you know, we set up a shop here, so this is mine. No, it's not yours. You plant a flag here, it's yours. Come on. So what I want you guys to get out of this is, again, you know, our government, up to no good. And the expense falls on the citizens. And what you're seeing here, guys, is a a microcosm of one of the issues that's going on now. Population control. And not necessarily the number of people, although they would like to get that down. They've said that numerous times. But to be able to control us. And what is the best way to control a people? Control its food source, its water source. If you can control those two things, you can control the people. And I I feel like that's part of the game right now. Is to mess with your ability to get food or at least make it seem like that. Because I don't know about you, but when I go to the grocery store, there is still stuff on shelves. Now, is it as packed as it used to be in the past? No. But can I get food that I need to feed myself and my son? Can I get dog food to feed my dog? Yeah. Is there going to be a shortage? I don't know. I'm not planning on it. I'm not banking on it. I will prepare in the event. But again, what is preparing going to get you guys? And that's what I I keep saying to people. Okay, you can hold out a few days. What are you going to do while you're there? What are you going to do when that runs out? What are you going to do when you run out of gas with no power? Okay, so unless you have a homestead that is completely off the grid, you're as fucked as anybody else. And the more supplies that you stock, you know, granted, you can stock arms and everything like that. But you're not going to just sit in your house, right? You're probably going to eventually move. You've got to be mobile. You got to be able to take that stuff with you. So my, the gist of this is let's not live in scarcity and fear. Let's live in love and abundance and not manifest any of these shortages, not promote any of these shortages, not, not give it the energy that it's being given. Because as we see, the government will do it on its own. It doesn't need our energy to feed it. It needs our energy to fight it to put them back in control. Because as we've seen over and over, the largest terrorist in the world appears to be the United States government and its three-letter agencies. And this is just another example. The Buffalo War of the 1800s, Tulsa, the destruction of Black Wall Street in 1921, Philadelphia, 1985, when they bombed residential neighborhood to take care of the MOVE group. 
who is anti-government. And it's over and over and over. And we saw it last week with the War of 1812. And guys, so this, this history that we've been taught about this country is a lot of bullshit. All these great men that were propped up, these presidents like William Henry Harrison, like Ulysses S. Grant. These guys are murderers. They shouldn't be celebrated. They didn't do anything great for our nation. Look where we are now. If they acted so great, would we be where we are now? Just think about that. Because these are the people leading us, right? <laughs> we, we don't elect them. They are selected. Okay. But still, these are the people who we are a president. And at this time, our president can't even stand, stand on his own bike without falling on his ass. And, and if you think this president is any different than the rest, he just doesn't have the blood on his hands. But he's as guilty for as many disgusting acts as these guys are. Look into his past. Look into his voting past. Look into the bills he's introduced. Some of the most racist bills out there. But you guys thought he was going to be the great unifier. Right? Those of you that voted for him. Still think he's a unifier now? You feeling more unified than you did back then? In 2020? I don't know, guys. I'm just, I just, I am so disheartened by this government and, and all it stands for. And this, you know, the country, the history of our country by the forefathers and, and, and such. Now, I love you all, my fellow Americans. You know, as my buddy Andrew from Andrew for America says, my fellow Americans, I love you all. We are great people, much like the peoples of nations around the world, which we should not hate blindly. It's their government, right? Would you want to be held accountable for what your government does? Because I sure as fuck don't. I don't want to be associated with my government because I don't relate to them. I don't agree with them. But I do agree with a lot of people. And there are a lot of good people in every country and there's some shitty ones and the shitty ones usually rise to the top because they don't care and they're willing to sacrifice you and I to get where they need to get. All right, guys, it's a wrap. That's another one. Like I said, we will be coming back with in the near future here, the next show or unless something else comes up on uh, some Operation Paperclip. Um, to all my fathers out there, happy Father's Day. You have the most important job in the world right now to raise strong men to lead us in the future. We don't need any more of these cucks out there. We need strong, independent thinking men out there and strong independent thinking women out there and it is our job as fathers to raise them there's no one else to blame 
if our kids go awry. It's on us. And that's why I take my job as a father as the most important role in my life in this world. My job is to raise my son to be a good, respectful, upstanding citizen. Not necessarily to the government, but to be a good person. To hold doors for people. Say thank you. Say please. Little things like that. Have manners. Have class. Be strong when challenged. Don't back down. Have faith in your beliefs. And let people question you. And question everything, right? That's why we're here, folks. So again, hey, if you want to contribute to this show, patreon.com slash the Great Deception Podcast. You can like, share, and review the show. That's a great way to contribute. Get it out there to your friends, family, anyone that'll listen. And hop on the YouTube, guys. Like I said, I want to get some live videos going here. I just, uh, I'm working on getting my internet, um, my landline all connected here uh, so I can go live and uh, and interact with you all some more because I really would like to do that because from the interaction I get on Instagram, I, I got some great, great listeners out there that are smart and have a lot to contribute and would really... Uh, I really look forward to engaging with you. So sign up, click the bell so you get the notifications. And that's it, folks. Happy Father's Day again to all the fathers out there. You're more important than you'll ever know. Stay strong and question everything. More for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your social security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. By the way, it's the same big club they used to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged, and nobody seems to notice Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hardworking people continue. These are people of modest means. Continue to elect these rich cocksuckers who don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all. At all. At all. Yeah. 
And nobody seems to notice, nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. There's a reason education sucks, and it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want a very simple way. On election day, I stay home. I don't vote. Fuck them. Fuck them. I don't vote. Two reasons. Two reasons I don't vote. First of all, it's meaningless. This country was bought and sold and paid for a long time ago. The shit they shuffle around every four years doesn't mean a fucking thing. And secondly, I don't vote because I believe if you vote, you have no right to complain. People like to twist that around, I know. They say, they say, well, if you don't vote, you have no right to complain. But where's the logic in that? If you vote and you elect dishonest, incompetent people and they get into office and screw everything up, well, you are responsible for what they have done. You caused the problem. You voted them in. You have no right to complain. I, on the other hand, who did not vote, who did not vote, who, in fact, did not even leave the house on election. It's just one more way of reducing your liberty and reminding you that they can fuck with you anytime they want. As long as you put up with it. As long as you put up with it. Which means, of course, anytime they want. Because that's what Americans do now. They're always willing to trade away a little of their freedom in exchange for the feeling, the illusion of security. What we have now is a completely neurotic population obsessed with security and safety and crime and drugs and cleanliness and hygiene and germs. There's another thing. Germs. Where did this sudden fear of germs come from? in this country. Have you noticed this? The media constantly running stories about all the latest infections, salmonella, E. coli, hantavirus, bird flu, and, and Americans are, they panic easily, so now everybody's running around scrubbing this and spraying that and overcooking their food and repeatedly washing their hands, trying to avoid all contact with germs. It's ridiculous and it goes to ridiculous lengths. <laughs> Besides, what do you think you have an immune system for? It's for killing germs. But it needs practice. It needs germs to practice on. So, so listen. So listen. If you kill all the germs around you and live a completely sterile life, then when germs do come along, you're not going to be prepared. And never mind ordinary germs. What are you going to do when some super virus comes along that turns your vital organs into liquid shit? 
I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to get sick. You're going to die. And you're going to deserve it because you're fucking weak. And you got a fucking weak immune system. Now, now to balance the scale, I'd like to talk about some things that bring us together. Things that point out our similarities instead of our differences. Because that's all you ever hear about in this country is our differences. That's all the media and the politicians are ever talking about, the things that separate us, things that make us different from one another. That's the way the ruling class operates in any society. They try to divide the rest of the people. They keep the lower and the middle classes fighting with each other so that they, the rich, can run off with all the fucking money. Fairly simple thing happens to work. You know anything different, that's what they're going to talk about. Race, religion, ethnic and national background, jobs, income, education, social status, sexuality, anything they can do, keep us fighting with each other so that they can keep going to the bank. You know how I describe the economic and social classes in this country? The upper class keeps all of the money, pays none of the taxes. The middle class pays all of the taxes, does all of the work. The poor are there just to scare the shit out of the middle class. Ooh.